Thank you for joining us as we bring you this worship service of 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our readings this morning are from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. The Reverend Dale Trunk is preaching. His sermon is titled, The Criminal Extravagance of God. You'll find the link to our complete announcements in your email. Here are a few highlights. Today at 11.30 a.m. on Zoom, the Reverend Dale Trunk will also be facilitating the second in a three-part perspectives class on Pope Francis' encyclical letter, Fratelli Tutti, We Are All Brothers and Sisters. This Wednesday, the 18th, there will be a simple Taze service of prayer chants and candlelight at 7.30 p.m. on Zoom, and we invite you to join us for that. As we look ahead to Advent, this year the Advent devotional will be distributed electronically. If you would like to receive a hard copy by mail, please let the church office know by tomorrow, Monday the 16th. Next week is Thanksgiving and Dedication Sunday. If you haven't already, we encourage you to fill out your pledge card as we dedicate our gifts for the 2021 year. You are also invited to create recorded prayers of gratitude that we will integrate into the worship service. For details, see the announcements. And speaking of stewardship, Pamela and Horace Green have a few words to share reflecting on what stewardship means to them. We belong and donate to 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church because we believe in the church and its mission. We believe in the wonderful gifts that Pastor Jenna and the 7th Avenue staff provide to the community. In these uncertain times, many people are lonely. For those people, 7th Avenue offers companionship, a community of folks with open hands and open hearts. Many people are fearful. For those people, 7th Avenue offers hope. The Word of God is a beacon that cuts through the fog of despair and fills the spaces inside us and crowds out the fear and the stress. Many people feel aimless and are struggling to find their way in the world. 7th Avenue offers guidance. When Thomas asked, how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Many people feel angry. They see injustice in our society. They may even feel its sting. But the Bible tells us that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Seventh Avenue gives us a place to focus that anger, to use it to motivate us to go out into the world and to help the helpless and the disadvantaged. Other people are in a good place, good job, happy relationships, mental health, and a good dog. For those people, Seventh Avenue is a place to give back a chance to share the wealth that God has provided. The Presbyterian faith tells us that attending services once a week is not enough. It calls us to go forth and perform works of ministry in whatever ways we can. It may be money that is shared, it may be time, it may be cupcakes to new neighbors, but the Bible says to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We do not believe that 7th Avenue exists to fix all our problems. 
We believe that God gives us the tools we need to deal with whatever challenges in life we face. When the waters of our lives become tempest-tossed, God and the church send us a boat, but it's up to us to row it and to steer it. And if we come across others who are drowning, to take them in our boat and to bring them with us to shore. This is why we support 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church. This is why we believe in the church, not because we are free from sin, but because we are sinners and the church loves us anyway. Because with all of our faults and shortcomings, nevertheless, we are blessed. Because blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. May God love you and keep you. And now, in preparation to worship, you are invited to quiet yourself, becoming still, as you prepare to worship God. We gather together in the spirit of the one who unites us. Come spirit of unity. We gather together in the spirit of the one who teaches us. Come spirit of truth. We gather together in the spirit of the one who trusts us. Come spirit of trust. Let us worship God. Yes, alleluia, amen.
Let us pray. We give you thanks, O God, for the spirit that stirs within us, for the world around us, for the earth beneath us, the sky above us, and the life within us. For all your work within us and for your gifts to us, we offer praise. For those times we ignore these gifts, burying them instead of using them, we pray forgiveness. And now in silence, we continue in prayer to you. God is behind us, before us, above us, beneath us. Telling us that we are loved. God is behind us, before us, above us, beneath us. Telling us that we are forgiven. God is behind us, before us, above us, beneath us. Telling us that we belong. Through the love of Christ and the grace of God, we are freed to new life. Amen. A reading from the first Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy God, well spring of life, illumine our hearts and minds that we might be refreshed by your words this day. Amen. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of God will come like a thief in the night. When they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then, let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as indeed you are doing. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Listen to the word that God has spoken. 
Reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. Listen for the word of God. For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. 
So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here ends the reading. During my early life, I was blessed with a grandmother who was one of my best friends. She was loving, generous, and very sentimental. She was generous with her heart and possessions, but she did have one way of burying her gifts. After she died, I helped clean out her house. We found drawers and boxes full of gifts she had received from special people, never used. In one box out in the garage, I found years of gifts I had made for her, all packed away and never used. Rats had taken possession of the gifts. I felt sad. Grandma buried my gifts because they were too precious to use. She lost them by keeping them too safe, and then forgotten, and then given over to rats. This parable of the talents typically is used to preach about how God gives us gifts and abilities to use for the growth of the reign of God. That is a good interpretation, but today let us do some more wondering. Jesus taught using examples from the culture and the environment of his listeners. Once he got them feeling at home with familiar images and attitudes, he would then put a twist on things to make people wonder. Everyone knew what the local weight of a talent was. It measured somewhere, depending on location, between 80 to 120 pounds. Translate that into the same weight in silver, and one talent was worth about 16 years of a worker's wages. Five talents then amounted to 80, eight zero years of wages. Translate that to today. According to what I just looked up, the median wage in California is about $70,000. Let's take that down a few notches to represent more of us. Let's say 50,000. Multiply that by 80 and you get 4 million. Even at our minimum wage, it would still be over a million dollars. That is a lot for a rich person to entrust to a servant. It's an exaggeration to get the point across that God entrusts us with huge treasure. I wonder though, if a rich person of that time would have entrusted such a sum to a servant. Besides, the Jewish law spoke of collecting interest as a sin of extortion toward the poor. So how did those first two servants end up doubling their entrusted money? They would need to be people outside the law, foreigners, or tax collectors. Most preaching seems to gloss over the accusation of the third servant and the master's agreement with the accusation. Is Jesus presenting the master as an extortioner? I wonder if a good title for this parable could be 
the criminal extravagance of God. Is the third servant truly lazy and good for nothing? Or is the third servant a whistleblower? Did he bury the entrusted sum of a hundred pounds of silver out of fear, laziness, or ignorance? Or did he recognize that he was being coerced into extortion? Besides, the law recognized that burying an entrusted treasure was the most responsible thing one could do with it. It freed the person who buried it from further responsibility. So what is the money that Jesus entrusts us with to grow the kingdom? Do you think he was preaching the prosperity gospel? Is he in any way approving of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? None of the servants ever have ownership of the money. It remains the possession of the master. We are called to give fruit as part of the vine and be yeast to help rise the dough. We are part of a bigger picture of growth and trust. We are not the owners. In the verses following today's parable, we hear about the final judgment. Those who pass the test learn that whatever they did for the least of Jesus' brothers and sisters, they did for Jesus. I keep going back to that third servant. Does he represent Jesus' audience? He was the one who followed the rules. He kept the treasure safe and sacred, but also hidden and unavailable. He was like the church that hides the treasures of Jesus under a bushel basket, rather than making them shine and be available by hanging on a lampstand. I keep wondering, is Jesus the master who harvests where he did not sow and gathers where he did not winnow? If the first two servants are people outside the law, foreigners or tax collectors, they do represent a new harvest beyond the field of the first people of God. They are a new seed ready for planting or grinding to keep the message growing. A few chapters before this, Jesus tells the people, Truly, I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the reign of God before you. During Perspectives this morning, we will be studying Pope Francis's recent encyclical letter, Fratelli Tutti. Among other good quotes, we will wonder about this one. A journey of peace is possible between religions. Its point of departure must be God's way of seeing things. God does not see with his eyes. God sees with his heart. And God's love is the same for everyone regardless of religions. Even if they are atheists, his love is the same. When the last day comes and there is sufficient light to see things as they really are, we are going to find ourselves quite surprised. Each November we get the end of the world preached at us. The early Christians were eschatological fanatics. And we end up getting complacent when it seems that Jesus doesn't return, that the end doesn't come. And yet, 
there's always someone gathering followers and stirring the bucket with specific predictions about the end of the world. But I wonder, isn't the world always ending and becoming something new? We believe in God, who sets us within community, giving us gifts beyond our imaginations. We believe in Christ, who teaches us how to live into all that God created us to be. We believe in Spirit, who gives us the strength to do just that. This we believe. Amen. Let us pray. God of life, we give you thanks for this planet we call home, for the turning leaves of autumn, for the animals of the earth and sky in our midst. In this season when the squirrels have responsibly buried their nuts in anticipation of winter, we are reminded of the good treasures we bury, our foresight and wisdom, our care and trust. 
and of the parts of us that call us to wonder. As the earth and those forgotten buried nuts mirror back to us our finitude, we pray that we might hold life gently and embrace the reality that the world is always ending and becoming something new. Grant us a spirit of openness to learn even in our discomfort. Grant us a spirit of truth and of justice and of kindness as we live with our neighbors and with ourselves. Enfold us in your gentle love that we too might embrace our being human. We pray that we might be sustained by each morning and that we might remember the gift of one another. So we pray for our siblings near and far, for those we know and for those we've yet to meet. We pray for their well-being, for the gift of community, for the delight of your goodness. And now in silence, we continue in prayer to you. We make this prayer in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. i 
As you go forth, you are charged to wonder. What are the familiar places of comfort that you are being asked to look at anew? of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.